Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 074. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, sometimes getting together with family raises our blood pressure because we know we're going to face that one person who is critical of everything we do. How do we handle such situations while trying to do more than just survive in the presence of our families? While the ideas may seem easier said than done, God knows something about facing off with critics, and his word gives us some ideas on how we can do the same. Check it out. You still work in that dead-end job? When are you going to find somebody to settle down with? You think by the next time I see you, you might be able to shave off a couple of pounds? Pot shots like this are the kind of thing that can single-handedly swing the blood pressure medication market. And they would often come from those who you think would know better, or you think might at least care a little bit more. But those who like to stab in the back with stuff like this often like to twist the knife as well. And they can jump straight from, you made a mistake, and instantly get to, you are a mistake. I wish comments like this, pot shots like this, stabs in the back like this, were relegated to just one demographic, not that that would make it right, or that it would be only come after a particularly high level of intoxication. But unfortunately, they're more universal than that. And sometimes those who have this down to an art form are the people in our families. The people that as we come up to Thanksgiving, as we come up to Christmas, maybe we think about those times we're going to get together with them. Or wonder, are we going to get together with them? The good thing is, God's word gives us something to try and hang on to that can get us through those kinds of times if we face those sorts of people. Whether in our families or This goes way beyond just families. That's just sort of the engine we're going to use. But in the workplace, out in the neighborhood, on the street. Now, at the outset, I want to make an admission that the topic that we dive into here, and maybe it raised the blood pressure up a couple couple notches just to hear some of the examples that I use. But the topic of people judging us and often the insecurity or the shame that comes with it often has roots far deeper than anything I can attempt to unearth in 20 minutes. I am not going to stand here and pretend that I can help you three-step your way to healing in one message. But I believe that the might, the power, and the will of the one who wrote these words that we're going to dive into can bring that healing. Because he knows all about it. God left all the glories of heaven. It's a word we've been constantly bringing up. Left the glories of heaven to come face the worst critics, the worst jeers, who had every intention of hurting him, that the world could throw at him. And he beat them. So rather than count on my words as as some kind of magical solution to this, we're going to hang on to that as we dive into what Paul tells the Roman church that's sort of going through maybe a bit of the same kind of thing. As Romans 12 opens up, we'll start off in verse 14. 
He tells the church, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And do not claim to be wiser than you are. If only it could be so easy, right? Already, the responses Paul puts out just seem like, if we could just all get along, the world would, be, would just be lollipops and gumdrops. Unfortunately, real life is not a 90s TV show that all resolves perfectly in 30 minutes, much as we may wish it did. But let's take a look at exactly the situation that Paul's writing this into. He's writing into a church that's been around for a little while. This is one of Paul's later letters. And it's a church that was built with Jewish converts, Jewish Christians, and Gentile converts, people who didn't grow up in the Jewish synagogue. And they have come together and they formed this Roman church, and somehow they're trying to make it work. These two groups that are like oil and water, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And the emperor at the time, Emperor Claudius, for whatever reason, he banished the Jews for about five years. So the church in Rome is being led by just Gentile Christians. Well, after that time, the Jewish Christians come back into the church, and they see that this is a worship that is very, does not look Jewish at all. Because you have these groups, again, that are like oil and water. And when we talked about them two weeks ago, as Paul is writing to a group of Gentiles and Jews that can't get along when he's writing to the Ephesians, we have sort of the same situation here. And these are the words that Paul is giving to them. Simple as it sounds, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice, weep, with those, you know, live in harmony with one another. But when we looked at this situation before, how Paul is trying to bring these two different groups together, coming out of Ephesians 2, Paul's idea to try and do that was to help them find something that they had in common. So what might that be for us? If we're getting together with family and we know maybe there's going to be the critic in the room, maybe the common thing we hope for is just that everybody will survive the holiday get-together. Maybe even we'll have a good time. We'll have a peaceful hangout. That can be a worthwhile goal. Certainly something that's, that's noble to go after. The good thing is Paul gives us something, as we are all hopefully striving towards that, that we can do. And he says at the end of verse 16, he says, do not claim to be wiser than you are. See, sometimes God will give us that critic in our life or that just plain difficult person in our life to give us a mirror, to help us gain wisdom and maybe a blind spot that we didn't know that we had. Hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if somebody says, hey, you know, why are you such a bum working a, a dead-end job that, you know, that that is meant to, like, make us think about our job. But I'll give you an example to paint a picture of what I am trying to say. I can be fairly protective, fairly papa bear with the kids. And there is a certain new normal that we have grown accustomed to over the past few years that life, especially around 7 o'clock in the, in the evening, is going to be three Energizer bunnies hopped up on caffeine, drowning in a sea of Red Bull. And that just sort of, to us, becomes a bit of what normal looks like. 
we grow sort of a bit of a thick skin towards it. But we get around those who maybe aren't so accustomed to that kind of chaos around the holidays, sometimes in particular, and they experience that and they snap. And almost like a switch, it's just like, why can't you be quiet? Why can't you settle down? Why can't you be more like, and that's right about the time that I'm ready to make the high blood pressure medical medication market gain a few points. And I'm like, how dare you? But then what happens the next day? When the kids are starting to bounce off the walls like ping pong balls, and my patience meter starts at zero and it's going the wrong way, and I snap. And I'm like, why can't you settle down? Why can't you be quiet? What? And I almost stop and freeze, and it's like, oh my gosh. I'm doing the very thing that got me ready to blow up on somebody else just yesterday. And sometimes God uses that critic or that difficult person to kind of give us the mirror so that we can see what those blind spots look like for us. That we might be able to have an attitude check towards those, even if it's just an attitude check towards the person who is judging us. Not fun, but God can get very, very creative in how he uses even the worst of people to help grow us. And then it continues. Paul doesn't just leave us hanging with the uh, nice hunky-dory stuff. He says, do not repay evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. Here's the thing, especially when it comes to critics. Critics or critiques, I guess I should say, they have a way of hijacking our mind. Think about it this way. If you have a day where you get a hundred compliments and you get one criticism, which one sticks? Which one, no, I'm not, I realize I'm not trying to prime the pump at all, but that one critique often sticks, often replays in our minds over and over and over again. Now, if that has ever happened to you, or if it does happen to you, that's not a sign something is wrong with you. It's a sign that you're a human being. It can almost be like the default, that unless we are really careful about making sure that's not the case, it's the place we will often go. That will hang on to that one critique. But Paul tells us how to make sure that doesn't happen. When he says, take thought of what is noble in the sight of all. Now, here's a way that this can play out. When I'm looking at Marlene, I know that Bev is over there. I know that Jerry's over there. I know Deanna's somewhere back there. Because you're all sitting in the same spot, yes. But here's the thing. As I'm looking at Marlene, they're kind of fuzzy, even though I know what they look like. I, I don't see them really, really clearly. But you know what? I see Marlene like 2020 because I'm focused on her. Our minds can only focus really on one thing at a time. Much as we may even talk about the idea of multitasking and being able to handle multiple things, that's, that's science. We can really only handle one thing at a time. So what are we going to hand, what are we going to focus on? The critique or what is noble in the sight of all, as Paul says? What might qualify as what's noble in the sight of all? Well, you've got Philippians 4. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, think about these things. Focus on these things. Or maybe you take 
Galatians 5, where Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. Ideas like love, joy, peace, patience. Just as a few examples. When you're focused on those, it's awfully hard to be focused on anger, malice, revenge, vengeance. So that's why Paul says, take thought of what is noble in the sight of all. And then we have our money verse here. Verse 18. Here's something where you can take a little bit of peace. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here is the fact. You are not responsible for any other person's behavior. What they do, how they treat people, that's on them. You know, we were talking a couple weeks ago about the offerings that Cain and Abel offered. And God reminds Cain, you're only responsible for your offering. That's all I'm worried about. I'm not worried about you compared to Abel. I just want a good offering from you. But on the flip side of that coin, nobody is responsible for your actions, your responses, except you. We don't get to blame somebody else. We don't get to say, well, they looked at me funny, so now I'm going to bark at them. That doesn't work. We take responsibility for the things that we control, and in that we meet what Paul is trying to say here in this verse. Now, does that mean that if we do our part, every relationship is going to go perfectly? No. There is still that X factor of the other person. But we do what we are able, and that is all we have control over, and it's all we have responsibility for. Continuing on, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now I could break these verses down further and further. They really kind of speak for themselves, don't they? And truthfully, I would rather give you a couple things you can hang on to and remember than to give you a hundred things you're going to forget by the time you walk out this door. But so much of it seems to be easier said than done. So what do we do? What are some practical ways that we can get through those get-togethers where we know we're going to have the critic there, where we know we're going to face somebody who's going to question us and, and make us feel about an inch tall? Well, I do have a few things that can help us out. First off, get prayed up. The good thing is, this is one of those things we can do ahead of time. And I actually recommend doing this ahead of time. Because if we're going to face off with a critic, usually we know it's coming. Right? If you can, if I started this off and you could imagine the person that's saying those sorts of lines, you usually know when you're going to get together with them. So pray up ahead of time. Pray for yourself. For your own wisdom your own peace, your own self-control. That can be a big one. And remember as well to pray for the other person. Because if nothing else, remember, it's hurt people who hurt people. Right? It's not always people blasting us because they had a great day. Oftentimes stuff builds up in them and, it bl- and they blast out at us. I guess in the best case scenario. But pray for them. And it's far easier to do this ahead of time than it is to do it after the darts start flying. Believe me. Another thing we can do, and maybe it doesn't happen right away, but maybe sort of afterwards, 
look for the kernel of truth in what they say. And this may not happen on the spot, but see if there's something in there that you can glean, you can hang on to. Now, sometimes there's no truth to hang on to. People just blast people just because they like to blast people. You know, misery loves company, and if I'm miserable, I want everybody else around me to be miserable. And sometimes that's just the way it is. But if there is something, some little bit in what they say that helps you become the best version of yourself you can be, hang on to it. Maybe this is a little bit easier when it comes to critique in the workplace or job or something like that, where somebody critiques your work, but there's something you can hang on to that makes you a little bit better. You hang on to that. I love this line that David Brinkley says. He says, a successful person is one who can build a firm foundation from all the bricks that are thrown at them. You know, it's sort of that line you guys have probably said to your kids, your grandkids, if somebody's going to chuck lemons at you, make lemonade. Well, if somebody's going to throw bricks at you, might as well build a house. Easier said than done, I know. But, but lastly, and this is sort of where I started, but it really still holds true and always will. Remember who it is that God says that you are. Who are you? You're one that God loved enough to leave all the awesomeness that heaven is, to come walk this earth, to face the worst critics, the people who had killing down to an art form and had torture down to an art form, faced those nails, those words, those spitballs for you, to give you life that no thief can steal and no murderer can take. Hang on to what he says you are, who he says that you are. And if you're in Christ, that is a truth that is yours. If not, you know what? It's a truth that can be. It all starts with simply saying, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, lead me in a way that shows me what my life is supposed to be like. I know many in this room have, your Christian walk could probably run circles around mine, but if this is one of those things that, even if just for how do I share this with somebody else, if you have questions about it, want more info about it, you know where I am. I'm in the back right afterwards. But you know what? In the back is the start of your next steps as well. I have a couple of sheets back there. Just reminders, just a sampling of what God in his word says about you, who you are. The reminders, I am loved. I am forgiven. I am blessed. I am called a child of God. I am victorious. Those are just the ones I'm thinking off the top of my head. So as you part from here today, Take that sheet with you. And if we run out, I will gladly give you guys some more. Take that with you, and each day I want you to remind yourself, read through this list. Even if you just read one line and hang on to it and remind yourself of it throughout the day. Even if just to remember, I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. If that sticks, God just pulled off a miracle. Those are truths that the powers of hell at their worst cannot take from you. Thanks be to God. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. 
If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week in the Woodlane Worship Podcast.